0: good to be here, isn't it? And um, I'm aware that there's many of you who haven't been here for a while, probably for almost this whole series. So I want to assure you this morning that I'm going to wrap up the series of Ecclesiastes, but I think there's a good standalone message as well. So don't tune off thinking, I've missed the first five episodes, I'm not going to understand what's going on, which is the case with most TV shows this day, right? You miss an episode, you don't know what's happening. Well, this we're going to sort of sum up the whole of Ecclesiastes today. But in saying that, I think you'll also find it quite helpful if you want to take the time to go back and have a look online and to listen to some of the messages over the last few weeks. I think you'll find some of them very helpful, as I have found them helpful. And um, yes, so this final week of the book of Ecclesiastes, um, I hope that you've got something out of it if you've been here the last five weeks. But let's be honest this morning, straight up, it's not an easy book. It's quite depressing at times. In fact, most of the time. I shared with a friend on the phone this week, and I said I was preaching from Ecclesiastes at the moment, and she said, oh, is that the book about life having no point? (laughs) Well, really... Yeah, sort of, but actually no. Ecclesiastes has a lot to say to us today, which is why it's in the Bible. So um, I hope that we actually take the time to think and to learn from all aspects of the Bible. And this book is um, no exception. In fact, as I've looked at it more deeply over the last few weeks, I've appreciated some of the wealth of wisdom that it has brought to my life. It's really about Solomon, King Solomon, his attempt to find ultimate meaning and contentment, to find what we've been calling it, satisfaction. It was only through failure, through disappointment and discovering empty promises of like pleasure under the sun and other things that he learned this ending lesson, that life without God is like chasing the wind. And Solomon doesn't want us to miss the point of his exercise because actually what he's saying is, I've learned this the hard way, learn it. As we heard last week, learn it in the days of your youth, make the most of it. He, he repeats the theme over and over again in his writing, meaningless or vanity or, va- or, or, just, or just vain. He says 35 times in this book, depending on your translation, which word is used. And as I said, it doesn't mean that worth, that life Sorry, is worthless, but it means that life is like chasing the wind. It's like a vapor, as we heard the first week, like smoke. You can't grab hold of it. It means that everything is like a breath. Here today, but it's temporary and it's passing. And in this book where he examines the meaning of life, the surprising thing to me is, at first glance, he doesn't just say that bad things are meaningless, so to let them go. He says that good things like pleasure, like popularity, like youth, like work, like wealth, achievement, they're all meaningless. Everything is fleeting. Everything one day will be forgotten. And ultimately, death makes everything meaningless, even if it doesn't seem meaningless right now. Feeling pretty happy this morning? So so we come here to the final verses of Ecclesiastes. And I think that we want answers by this stage. We're like, so what, what are you saying then, King Solomon? What ultimately do I get from this book that you've spent 12 chapters writing on? As I like to go to good theologians, this morning I want to quote Bono. Bono is the lead singer of U2, and besides being an international star and humanitarian activist, he actually is uh, a confessing Christian, a committed follower of Christ, and he's been very vocal about his faith over the years. And U2 and Johnny Cash actually collaborated on a song in 1993 called The Wanderer. And I guess some of you know it well. And um, Bono likened the teacher in this book of Ecclesiastes to this wanderer's quest, search for meaning and for purpose. This is where he got his inspiration for this book of Ecclesiastes. And he says this about the book of Ecclesiastes. It's going to come on the screen now. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It's about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he was created. He, He tries knowledge, he tries wealth, he tries experience, he tries everything. And you hurry to the end of the book to find out why, and it says, remember your creator. In a way, it's such a letdown, yet it isn't. First glance, it can seem these last few verses can be a bit of a letdown. doesn't really say a lot, but really it kind of says everything. We might feel a bit like Bono this morning where we've invested um, the last six weeks, probably particularly Phil and myself, a lot of time investing in this book of Ecclesiastes, trying to get to the bottom of the meaning of life, yet here at the end we find such simple commands and we kind of can be left thinking there's got to be more, right? I mean, this just seems too simple. Remember right back at the beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, King Solomon's book Solomon, sorry, was looking for answers about how we should live in this world. And he says this, Ecclesiastes 2.3, I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. This is like his like thesis. This is like his purpose for writing this book, right up front. This is what I'm trying to do. And here we come to the end. And at the end of his investigation, he says this, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. He says, when you consider everything, you get down to the essence of living. And that's what the term, the whole duty of man is. It's the essence of why man was created, what we're here for, the essence of life. When you take away everything that's superfluous and boil it down to it, what's at the core? He says at the core are two things. The meaning of life is two things. Fear God and obey God. Fear God and do what he says. Simple, but it really is simple. It can feel hard, I confess, day in, day out. That can feel hard. But the concept is simple. So we're going to look at those two things quickly this morning. Fear God, firstly. Ecclesiastes, this book, ends where the book of Proverbs begins, which was also written by King Solomon. And it's strong advice about living life with the fear of God. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord. Now, I want to be clear right from the start this morning that fearing God is not the same as being afraid of God. Like I'm afraid of heights or afraid of snakes. That's not the way I should be afraid or the way I should fear God. In fact, Oswald Chambers wrote this, and I love this quote. He says, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Fearing God simply means knowing who we are and where we stand in relation to God. It means taking him seriously, taking God seriously, acknowledging him in our lives as the highest good. It means revering him, respecting him, honoring him. It means worshiping him. Really, in essence, it's the same as loving him. To fear God is to really love God. To fear God means that we live our lives in such a way that one day we know that we'll stand before God and we'll have to give an account of our works and our deeds. But it won't be a fearing of God in cowering as his harsh judgment comes. It's just a simple matter of knowing who we are, knowing that we're relying on God for our salvation and where we stand in relation to him. Have you ever heard of the, um, where am I, the Copernica- I can't even speak this morning, <laughs> the Copernican Revolution. Is that how you say it, Phil, scientist? Say it. Copernican. I thought that, Copernican Revolution. Anyway, I knew the concept, I'd never heard this term until I spoke to Phil this week, but the old belief centuries ago was that the sun revolved around the earth. Did you know that? That's what we used to believe years ago, that the sun revolved around the earth. Most of us would have learned that in high school. And that was wrong, Right. <laughs> Because the earth revolves around the sun. And this is what this revolution is called, is is exactly this. So it was a paradigm shift from the model of the heavens where we thought that the whole earth, the whole world really, but sun revolved around the earth. It was the shift from that to where we actually understood that the sun was at the centre of everything. We were not central. It's a hard concept for us to grasp sometimes. We don't control everything. And you know what? Similarly, so many of us have got it wrong in our lives, in our spiritual lives. God doesn't revolve around us. I know we know that, but do we live that way? God doesn't revolve around us. We revolve around him. We know that we fear God when we make him the center, rather than expecting him and everyone else to revolve around us. When our lives are led and controlled by God, that's when we can say, yep, I fear God and that's a safe place to be. Maybe some of of us need that revolution in our lives this morning. Because the fact is that everything begins and ends, rises and, and falls, succeeds or fails based upon what we fear. Your life and mine are driven by fear. The question is not if we will fear, but it's who we will fear. And is that the best place to live? Let's consider to fear the Lord this morning. It means that Above everything and everyone else, we consider God. To fear the Lord is to do what is right in God's eyes. And if we fear the Lord, then we are followed by these sorts of questions that I've got up here on the screen today. These kinds of things that help us to make godly, wise or God-fearing decisions, we might say. We ask ourselves when making decisions, when deciding how to live, is this what the Bible say or what does the Bible say about this? What godly people can I seek for wisdom, for advice, for wise counsel? How can I best glorify God in this situation? And ultimately, what does God want me to do? You know, the default if we don't fear the Lord is that we fear someone or something else. And this is why King Solomon in Proverbs 29, 25, he says, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting in the Lord means safety. Other versions say, but fearing the Lord means safety. So rather than fearing God, if we fear people, this is what it looks like. It's holding another person or a group of people, maybe parents, friends, spouses, co-workers, above everything else. To fear people is to do what other people want us to do, the demand we do or pressure us to do, and when we do that, we're guided by these sort of questions that cause us to make ungodly and often very unwise life decisions. When we're always thinking about what do other people say? Who can I find to agree with me with what I want to do? We've all done that from time to time gone and sought advice from someone who we really just want to tell us, want us to tell us we're doing the right thing. Who, how can I hide this from God and godly people? What do other people want me to do? Who do you fear? Whose praise means the world to you? Whose criticism or rejection of you would destroy you? Who are you living your life around? Who are you adjusting your decisions and expectations around? Are you fearing anyone else other than God this morning? Solomon says, this is the meaning of life. Fear God. That's how you live well and safely and securely. Secondly, he says, not just fear God, obey, obey him, obey his commands, do what he says. And really the fact is, if I fear God, the result is going to be that I want to keep his commands because I know they're the best ones for me. You see, if everything is meaningless and this life is all that there is, then life would be completely absurd. It would be no point to life, as my friend said this week. But at the end of this book, we're reminded that this isn't all there is. That life does matter. Because verse 14 tells us that at the end of time, God's going to judge. He's going to stand before us and everything is going to matter. This quote says The final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters, but that everything does. The final message of Ecclesiastes says that everything matters. Is this all there is? Solomon asks. Isn't there more to life than what I see under the sun? And the answer here at the end is yes, there is more. If there's a God who will judge the world, then everything matters what we did, how we did it, why we did it, they're all going to have eternal significance. What we do does really matter. Every one of us was created for a purpose and that purpose is similar or is the same for all of us. Our specific mission on earth might be different, but the overall purpose is the same. We were created to fear God and to obey him. Others say to worship God and to enjoy him forever, to do what he says. Verse 10 says, there's no end to the publishing of books and constant study wears you out. Who's ever been worn out from constant study? Well, Phil and I. So, Phil and I just spent the last five years plugging away at our masters and we finally finished last year and we graduate in May and we're very excited about that. It's tiring studying. And so, I love this. It wears you out so you're no good for anything else. The last and final word is this fear God, do what he says. It's no good accumulating all the head knowledge in the world if we're not willing to do what God says. Wisdom involves action doing what is right. You know, Jesus knew that we were going to be prone to picking and choosing what we liked and what we didn't like amongst God's commandments and his principles. And so his Sermon on the Mount, where he's teaching about this new kingdom of God, it ends with a story which most of us would have heard before, um, the story of the foolish and the wise builder. And the message paraphrase ends Jesus' conclusion with these words. If you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who builds his house on the sandy beach. You are like the stupid carpenter who builds his house on the sandy beach. I was almost going to say to Phil after church today, I just don't know if you can't, can say in church about things and people being stupid. But Jesus did, so I'm just acknowledging you're going to argue that with me, so I might as well not even bring it up. <laughs> But the purposeful life of worshipping God and following his commands is found in this wisdom from Jesus. The good news of the gospel, of the New Testament, of the world we live in, fortunately after King Solomon, is that we don't have to do this alone. That we live with Jesus, who's given us practical teaching, who walks by us, who lives in us, and can help us to obey his commands. And in fact, our obedience is just a response to what he's done for us. Loving God And obeying God go together. Knowledge of God, learning about him, getting the facts in our head, should lead us to worship God, to fear him, and then it leads to obedience to God's commands. That order really does matter in the striving of life. We worship and we obey God because of his grace to us. Ecclesiastes says, life is a series of dead ends apart from God, so fear God. And show it by keeping his commandments. Love God and do it by by doing his commandments. John 15 verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Connor's going to help us and play some music. And we're going to sing a song in a moment. But I want to ask you three questions to finish this morning. Or to finish this last six weeks. Firstly... Ask yourself, are you taking any of the dead ends that the teacher in this book is talking about? There's nothing wrong with work or pleasure or money or accomplishment, but they make terrible idols. They make terrible purposes for life. Don't take the dead ends, Solomon says. They're meaningless. They're like a vapor. They fade. Learn from what Solomon has taught us, he's telling us this morning. Learn from his experience don't take those dead ends secondly have you experienced this revolution if you like and oriented your life around God it's what really simply what it means to fear God to realize that God doesn't revolve around us but that we revolve around God Or well, that's the best way to live we exist for God's glory his scripture says And when we orient our lives around him and make his way our priority, we find safety. Finally, are you demonstrating your love for him by obeying his commands? Are you being obedient? We know when we're disobeying God, we get that sense. We know that we're making it about us and not about him. And better yet, I think maybe a better question this morning might be for that question a better way of putting it might be have you discovered jesus and how much he loves you and then are you naturally seeking to obey his commands because of your love for him in return jesus is the only one who's obeyed these verses 13 and 14 of ecclesiastes perfectly he's the only one that has perfectly feared god and obeyed him he's our example but he's also our help We're going to sing this song that Connor's playing this morning. And I want to tell you a little bit about its origins. In an evangelistic meeting um, in the 1860s by Dwight Moody, many of you would have heard of that preacher. And this young man in his meeting stood up to give his testimony, to share his witness about what Jesus had done. And he said these words, they're going to come on the screen. I am not quite sure what the future holds. I think we can all say that this morning. I'm not quite sure what the future holds, but I am going to trust And I'm going to obey. And these words were recorded by someone there. If he'd been there now, he would have sent a text to this guy, but instead he probably wrote them down, sent a telegram. They arrived eventually to the Reverend J.H. Samus, a Presbyterian minister who turned this simple confession into one of the church's great well-known hymns. And it really does sum up Solomon's whole intent in conclusion in Ecclesiastes. It says, Trust and obey for there's no other way, every other way is meaningless, to be happy in Jesus, to be satisfied, to be content, but to trust and obey. No other way, but to trust and obey. We're going to sing three verses of this this morning. And we're going to sing the first two verses very reflectively and if you wouldn't like to come and kneel at the place of prayer, then you can do that right now or you can stay where you are. But just take a few moments to ask those questions. We might put those questions back up if you don't mind. Um, am I taking any of the dead ends that Solomon mourns about? Am I orienting my life around God? and Am I demonstrating my fear of God, my love for God by obeying his commands? So we're going to sing two verses And if you'd like to come and pray, you can, or you can pray where you are. And then for the last verse, we're going to stand and we're going to declare this morning. We're going to say something. And I don't know, maybe you're struggling to say this and maybe you need God's help to say this this morning. But it says, what He says, we will do. Fear God and do it. What He says, we will do. Where He sends, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey.